The year is 1996. I'm Dave. I'm Zach. I'm Charlotte. And this is My Marvelous Year. Hello and welcome to My Marvelous Year, the comic book reading club where we go through some Marvel comics. From its origins to today, <laughs> I'm Zach. What is happening? Great opening. I'm Zach. I'm a comic book clone. I'm joined today by Charlotte. She also is a comic book clone. There's many of her. Uh, and I'm joined by Dave. Yep. He is also a clone and uh, paid for the clones. So... Uh, let's I, I think I say that a lot clones. after your intros, but I feel like I'm having a stroke. I'm oh boy, we made with I'm the mistake we made. Clones. Can you t- <laughs> can you tell the mistake we made with a clone is we we actually took out all of his energy, um, and we made the most <laughs> yeah. lethargic Zach we could possibly make. Uh, yeah, we gave him the board out of his mind. Be gene. Excited about these clones, and Who's I gotta say, I don't, I don't know why we put him on the, the podcast. Time. I thought we put lethargic Zach on guard duty. I thought he was supposed <laughs> to be making sure nobody, because like we get a lot of podcast competitors. We were just talking about this before the show. You know, like Jay Miles, like like uh, Joe Rogan. They're always trying to break in and interrupt our podcast when we're recording, you know, like our just our competitive set. And I thought we had lethargic Zach on guard duty, but it turns out we put him on mic. And I, I just want to apologize. Which is always, that's always also a big mistake is to put the lethargic clone on guard duty. <laughs> yeah. People are always breaking it. That might not have been a good idea either. Um, Zach, this isn't that clone heavy. I mean, there's a little, there's, we're uh, technically, technically the, the comics today, as we move into 96 and, and finally sort of round out you know some of the the lingering threads of the clone saga right there's some there's some cloney stuff right but it's not too clone heavy yeah. no i yeah. i if know. anything I, well, it's like okay. here's the goblin show yeah it is it is largely goblin. and you know what i actually yeah. <laughs> here's the thing i don't think this badger comics is particularly awful i think there's something to actually recommend most of this mildly at least i'm just Man, I was thinking about it yesterday, how much I used to say on this show. Yeah, Spider-Man, easy. Favorite character. You and me, both Dave, would say this all the time. That is not true anymore <laughs> after going through my rules here. Uh, I, I just like... Well, who's who yeah, supplanted Sp- Spidey as your favorite character? Because we, we've had a few Captain years America of... Because, I mean, you're, when you say Spidey, too, like, you're talking Peter Parker, right? And this has been a yeah. notably bad few years for Peter Parker, specifically, uh-huh. right? So, so... Having gone through Marvel Comics from 1961 to 1996, who has replaced Spider-Man as your favorite character? Yeah, it's either Captain America or Daredevil, probably. Okay. I think, at at least as, like, characters that I want to read their series, you know, where I'm, like, like per per capita, uh, per issue that, you know, I enjoy picking up an issue. Because now, when when I just think about, like, oh, I'm going to go read some Spider-Man comics, I'm like... Oh man, I have to go back twenty years before I'm gonna enjoy that. <laughs> like, there just hasn't been anything in so long, and the character is just well. That's not true. You got the like, I'm just stuff so in bored the 80s. with this character. Hmm? Say that again. You got the Demati stuff in the '80s, Craven's Last Haunt. You don't have to go back. Which that is like far. five issues. Sure, yeah, that's like a, a really big high, but that's five issues, like in the middle of a decade. 
you know, in the middle of hundreds and hundreds of stuff. It's, it's just like, I don't know, there hasn't been anything about the character that has been interesting to me in so long. And, you know, like, and the only stuff that I do find really interesting is playing the hits. You know, like the very early Ditko or um, uh, John Romita stuff. See, that's why, so that's actually part of why I think these comics today are actually pretty interesting because it's Spider-Man universe stuff. So today we're going to be, and you can find all the, the comics that we read here in the reading club in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, if you're unclear what my Marvel's year is because of <laughs> the world's driest introduction. <laughs> this is your first episode. <laughs> <laughs> we read through Marvel yes. comics from its origins to today. And today we've got a Spidey batch. Okay. So again, you can find all the issues in the show notes. If you want to find the full list of everything we're reading in the club, again, throughout the entirety of Marvel history curated. So you don't have to read every single comic yourself. Uh, and you have some direction, you can get that over at patreon.com slash mymarvelousyear. But today we're talking Carnage Mind Bomb, a one-shot. Then we're going to talk uh, Green Goblin, a miniseries, or not a miniseries, a series that ran for uh, 12 to 13 issues from 1995 to 1996. And then we're going to talk uh, Spider-Man Revelations crossover, okay? And that's the one that is Clone Saga wrap-up. That's the one that is core Spider-Man universe, but Carnage and Green Goblin are, you know, villain, anti-hero adjacent, Right? spider-man universe stuff but not spider-man comics and i would say that's actually where this world tends to be the most interesting right now is sort of what's going on on the fringes um as opposed to peter and ben and obviously like you know the the other piece we could be considering here is ben riley leading his own series scarlet spider which i didn't include here because you get a flavor of it um in green goblin and then you get a little flavor of it in in revelations and we got (laughs) all the flavor of it (laughs) in the clone saga okay like we've already done that journey i would say so Mm -hmm. i i don't know charlotte where are you at in terms of like spider-man fatigue like like obviously the clone saga is its reputation and the thing that is criticized for the most is the fatigue and exhaustion that it leads to um i haven't i I felt this much earlier than you did zach in terms of and i've probably said on mike before like I think Spider-Man has like the lowest batting average yeah. of yeah, anyone we, we talk in Marvel about that all the time, yeah. Yeah, so like for a character that I love, absolutely love, the batting average of high-quality comics is incredibly low, whereas Daredevil I would say is probably the highest typically. Um I don't know, Charlotte, are you fatigued or are you like are, are you like I'm done with Spidey or kind of what's your what's your standing here? I mean, I was interested in like the new sandbox out of Clone Saga with Ben being the new Spider-Man and Peter being a able to just be Peter Parker yeah. and not Spider-Man for a while. And like, as we'll see in Revelations, that's, that future might not be as uh, interesting as I thought or as uh, yeah. doesn't last as long as I would have hoped. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm curious, but I don't... After these comics, I don't know how they're going to go in a new inter- interesting direction because it doesn't really lead to a new direction. It just goes back to a previous status quo. Yeah, so yeah, right. that was pretty boring to me. Right, I'm with you on that. Okay, so let's let's save the Revelations talk for the end because that's going to be the biggest yeah. core Spider-Man feelings. Um, let's talk about these villain showcases. The first one we got is this one-shot Carnage Mind Bomb. This is written by Warren Ellis. Pencils, Kyle Hotz. Inks, Kyle Hotz. Colors by Marie Javins. Current editor-in-chief of DC Comics. Letters by Jonathan Babcock and Mike Higgins. I like this comic a lot. <laughs> this is one yeah, that I discovered. <laughs> uh, I, I heard Donny Cates when he was at C2E2. He's talking about Absolute Carnage. This is when this was coming, spinning out of his Venom run in contemporary era. And he people were like, one of the questions was like, what's your favorite Carnage story? And he was like, Carnage Mind Bomb. And I hadn't read it to that point. Um, you know, I, I tend to be unclear and unsure about all the symbiote one shots in the 90s. You know, I'm like, well, it feels like some of them should be hidden gems and 
it turns out most of them aren't, you know, with all the Venom miniseries. Like, they kind of all play very similar beats, at least for me. Um, Carnage My Mom actually stands out, I would say. And it does basically a Joker and Arkham Asylum story, right? Um, but with Carnage, you know, this this Cletus Cassidy, you know, renegade serial killer. Kyle Hatz goes to town on weird, creepy, Lovecraftian sort of visuals for Carnage. You know, you've got these tentacle monsters and mouths coming all the, out of all the tentacles and all this sort of wild-looking stuff in the midst of a conversation between, you know, the psychiatrist at Ravencroft and Cletus Cassidy. Um, it's not like, oh my gosh, you have to read this, but if you're a fan of Carnage, this is a really good one that I think you should check out. What did, what did both of you think? I mean, I... <laughs> I'm going to sound very cold. Um, you started saying that it was very good and all, and I literally just checked if I read the right comic. <laughs> because of how surprised I was. <laughs> I, okay, I mean, well. I agree. The visuals are very good. Like, it does some very gory, hellish stuff that kind of reminded me of Immortal Hulk in some ways. Um, like, very superhero gore. That's kind of fun. Uh, but I, I think I just don't like Carnage. That's one of the least interesting villains uh, of Spider-Man to me, because literally all he, all he is like, he's a psychopath who just wants to murder people, and that's all he is. Like, that's the point of this story. That's literally all he is. So I don't think the story is bad, necessarily. I just can't get interested about Carnage at all. Yeah. I, I mean, so the, my common complaint about Carnage is, one, yeah, I don't think that's, like, the most interesting motivation. But then also, like, if you're going to have that motivation, you have to do something with it aesthetically and we keep i complain about this a bunch where i'm like it just keeps telling me how like nasty carnage is and then it's like and then cut away and you see the blood splatter you know off panel right and it's like yeah you, you gotta if you're gonna do this hyper violence you know really gory nasty thing you have to i don't know make like a b movie like 80s uh like giallo movie out of it you have to get like hyper violent and yeah 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 find some aesthetic interest in it and th this is the literally the first time i ever had that and it's not something that i want to read all the time like it's not like oh man i'm so hungry for more like really bot like disgusting body horror with carnage but for a carnage comic i think this did exactly what i've been saying they haven't been doing and need to do mm -hmm. like some of this is truly nasty stuff and it's nasty kind of in a fun way uh so yeah i had fun with it and, and especially as like a one shot you know <laughs> if this was right, any other right. format if this was six issues if this was a series eh, probably not as interested but like as 35 pages yeah i think it was pretty fun you know yeah i think Ellis, you I absolutely a, oh go ahead good go writer ahead. about it yeah go on you, you were saying ellis is a sex pest or was it did you end that sentence differently uh yeah yeah well, <laughs> yes of course <laughs> of course uh number one sex pest and number two uh pretty good writer <laughs> yeah no it's like here's here's the thing like as we're getting into warren ellis becoming a bigger name in comics work we're obviously going to continue to have to have the conversation around contributions to the marvel universe despite what has been revealed you know post i don't remember exactly when it was but the 2020s right that he About was a year and a half ago a, yeah. a sort of a monstrous not sort of he was you know this monstrous abuser of so many people um he writes good comics right like there's no <laughs> the 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 human behavior yeah, bad, does bad not eradicate the like, the talent that was, that yeah. was you know i saw a lot in the wake of the news i saw a lot of people being like oh i never liked him that much anyway and like that's great if yeah, that's, that's not true, the moral high it, ground you think it point, is it, and it, yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. it's all yeah, exactly it's, yeah yeah so you, you don't you don't get brownie points for only 
uh, consuming work by like good virtuous people. Yes. <laughs> that's not yeah. not a real thing. Yes. Anyway, go, go to go to so many of us.com. That's like you if know, you don't know what we're talking about, yeah. people, even if you do and you haven't go there, read it. It's it's educational, not just in the Warren Ellis sense, but also just in the way that, you know, the industry has failed, that a lot of industries fail. Um, so, OK, so that said, um, yeah, I think, Zach, I'm with you. There are kind of two modes of carnage. Um, one is taking him very seriously as this very grim, violent serial killer. The second is adding a layer of hyperbole and goofiness and very yeah. knowingly. Um, I think both can work. Both can work, but more often than not, both can be kind of boring, <laughs> especially the first one, I would say. And I would say this is one of the rare instances where that first mode, because Charlotte, I'm kind of like you in the sense of I, I'm not that interested in a carnage like solo work, you know, like yeah. like barring, you know, a really interesting creative pairing or something. Um, you know, like there's a Carnage Marvel Now series that like I barely touched. Um, you know, I just it's just not the kind of book that I'm probably going to be that interested in. Uh, that said, I think if if it's going to be done in a one shot style like this, and I think Carnage is really a, a great example of a character that if they show up somewhat sporadically, they're very exciting. You know, as yeah. a menace and a symbiote threat that one ups Venom. If they show up sporadically, they're exciting. If he's around all the time. It really takes a lot away from what this character is meant to represent. Um, and this issue obviously does that because it's a one shot. And it's, it is funny to me that, so like he's, Carnage is having this conversation with the therapist, you know, the entire issue. And the therapist thinks he's in control, right? And it's, you know, all this mutilation and, and grotesquery happening with Carnage as a symbiote. Um, but then the way Carnage ultimately like gets back at the therapist and drills a hole in his head is because yeah. he was given vitamin C. <laughs> So it's like, <laughs> so it's like, be careful who you give citrus to. I, I love the like, this guy, this doctor comes in and he's such a hot shot. Yeah. And he's, you know, <laughs> like, uh, I've got my secret formula. And he's like, well, brain chemistry is altered by vitamin C. So I'm giving a massive over to, like, like he's just poo pooing all the people who actually work at Ravencroft that he's like, you know, this the, the top of his line. He'll be able to crack the case like no one else does. And then it's like three minutes after he gives the shot. Uh, who who is it? The uh, Kafka, Doctor Kafka is like, wait a minute, might have been C is metabolized by the liver. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like you fra- you failed to account for vitamins being metabolized. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, a it's very just... anime moment of uh, characters narrating what's going <laughs> yeah. on. Yeah, but yeah. I I I, I I dug it. I liked the uh, you know yeah him him inserting his uh, psychosis into this uh, psychiatrist i thought that was pretty fun and i do think like, i mean it is it's like punisher we talk about it same thing it's like punisher i like i i don't really want him to be taken seriously or if you do you need much better writers than any <laughs> marvel writer yeah. we've ever seen no i, I think you're kind so of far. setting me on a arcade version of carnage like that fusion sounds kind of fun to me a more goofy carnage like both goofy and extra brutal yeah that I, sounds kind I of i was fun. gonna say also like <clears throat> maybe just uh i'm less interested in cletus cassidy but like other people getting the carnage symbiote like just as yeah. a foil for you know i, I don't has, know Sil- has silver Arca- surfer arcade carnage like Arca- arcanage has that ever been done is that a thing our That's a good idea. is a really good idea that, that makes a lot of sense and is a really yeah, fun idea they're both redheads right and, and him just actually turning like more saw-esque but like genuinely yeah. like <laughs> really nasty and gruesome <laughs> with his little traps yeah i think you know the thing about carnage is he's really never worked for hire <laughs> like arcade um and actually <laughs> yeah. would be 
would be pretty fun in that mode. Uh, yeah. So yes, I do. I, yes, I think the goofiness. I don't. I don't know that it. There's there's some stuff I'm, we're going to talk about, but it's it's funny. But I don't know that it knows it's funny um, as it comes up. And I think it's not until probably the past decade or so. Like there's Carnage and Deadpool crossovers now, where Carnage starts to get more in that mode. Um, or at least playing along with the humor of it. Um, I think of like there's the event 2014. There's an Axis Carnage miniseries that's actually <laughs> really funny. Um, oh, is it? It's it, really funny. Might be a stretch, but like it's okay. comics funny. You know, like it's <laughs> like there's like real humor and then there's like comics humor. You know, and it's it's rarely quite the same thing. But that one, because yeah, I've incredible. read the main events of Axis and I know some stuff that uh, happens with Carnage in it, and it's accidentally very funny <laughs> yeah access is not good let me be clear <laughs> like it's not an event i recommend <laughs> but i actually remember that mini being kind of interesting yeah uh, i do just want to touch real quickly too on you know zach you mentioned the you know sort of the schlock violence of it and the, and the horror film violence it is actually a bit edge pushing or boundary pushing f- certainly for a marvel comic in 1996 right like mm-hmm. some of the yeah, visuals some of the things that are happening nasty. some of the lines like it does actually tap into about as much horror as you're going to get out of this in a comic that's not yeah. officially rated, you know, mature or given to a the epic imprint or whatever. Um, Which is surprising that it kind of avoided that because, you know, there's shots of, like, him just pulling intestines out of dead bodies, you know? And, like, there's a naked guy eating people. <laughs> like, there's some yeah. wild oh, yeah. stuff in this yeah. book. Uh, and I, I don't know. I think there is certainly there's a mode of reading it and just rolling your eyes. Sure. At, yeah, I, the, I I could feel that. But like that's kind of where I you know I think I think that's the thing is like if you treat it like schlock and and as sort of a tongue in cheekiness to the absurdity of the humor, I think it's enjoyable. If it's if you treat it taking itself totally seriously as you know because that you can tell in the writing a little bit, you can tell in the Ellis, you know, there's trying to do some of what Alan Moore does, right? Trying to capture some of that like very literary deconstruction and exploration of the psychology of superheroes and supervillains. And if you treat it on that level, trying to take it very seriously, it falls apart. But if you, if you have the tongue in cheek, it's pretty good. <laughs> like it's, it's better than it has any right to be. And, and the art is, I would say 85% of that, right. Being able to sell just these weird visuals as the thing goes on. Cause otherwise it's mostly just conversation until everything explodes, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I would yeah, agree that it's better than most, I mean, all that we've seen of Carnage by so far, I think. I think so. It's not anywhere near as good as Barry Windsor Smith's Weapon X, but it's Weapon nope. X for Carnage. Nope. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. It's as close that. as the yeah. it's as close as the character has uh, got. Again, because it's thirty four pages one and done. You know? Yeah. Like that's <laughs> that is the secret sauce to this comic. That it is uh it just does one thing and it does it pretty well. And it doesn't overstay its welcome. Yep. Because it's not it's not even really a big story. If Spider-Man was involved, if there was an actual dilemma here, it's not. You know, it's just a... Carnage a doesn't even leave Ravencroft. <laughs> right, yeah. Like, he no, just yeah. stays in his cell at the end. Um, all right. Let's talk about another Marvel villain, another Spidey villain. This one with, with more legacy, certainly, the Green Goblin. Now, if you ask the casual observer how many Green Goblin comics there have been, right? solo starring Green Goblin comics, they might assume, given the character's status, given Willem Dafoe's performances, that that has happened a handful of times, right? Like, most Marvel villains get at least a miniseries or something, you know? Um, It's only happened once in Green Goblin's history, and it happened in 1995 to 1996 at a time when Norman and Harry Osborn were dead, quote-unquote, as we're going to talk about, right? 
It happens with a new Green Goblin who takes over the role and has no connection to the Osborne legacy, is a total outsider, and is like a teenage dimwit. <laughs> and <laughs> it is such an oddity in um, sort of the Marvel Universe landscape. It's a thing that it has come up against since, but but not super often. Um, there's some notable stuff that happens in the dance slot run, I'll reference, uh, without spoiling anything. But this is the story of Phil Urich. He is the nephew of Ben Urich, the uh, esteemed Daily Bugle reporter, who here throughout this and in a detail that i really like is writing the the um journalistic biography of norman osborne and the goblin legacy which i love i love that yurik's the one who's like you know he cracks the kingpin stuff and he's and he's breaking the green goblin news and all this stuff right i, I like that detail a lot um but felix is nephew and he's kind of this near duel teenage 90s teenage goofball okay can we get into the ne'er-do-well part because uh sure i think it's really funny being there's tom, tom defalco is not putting good detail in this uh, <laughs> i don't think that's one of my big problems with this is I, I think it just kind of flits around and like he's telling you what he like he's setting up the characters as he wants them to be but then all the details just don't match up so like <laughs> he gets i think at the beginning it's implied that he got fired from like a blockbuster a marvel blockbuster analog like a video rental store and so his friends like this high school friend he has uh freddie enlists <laughs> the the high school kid who grew up to be a little bit of a uh, criminal kingpin rico the sicko <laughs> rico's so funny <laughs> so good and they just go and like loot a video store and, and it's, it's posed as if rico is this like do you want to explain yeah, what a video I, I store know. is to uh to charlotte <laughs> yeah right charlotte i that, had yeah. video stores when i was a kid thank you very much <laughs> did you have vhs's though yes i yes i had vhs <laughs> well i don't know because like back by like by like 2005 2006 we probably switched fully off dvds and that's when you were like a child you know so we had or switched when on i was DVDs, a kid we, right? i mean anyway up until i was like it, 10 or 12 we had both vhs and dvd do you yeah, have different okay. acronyms okay. in right. front in france yeah, uh, which I'm actually confused about. Uh, in France, VHS is cassette. Yeah, but it's, yeah, we say that too. Which, yeah, oh, okay, you, you say that, okay. But if, but if, it, it but if an American like an says a cassette, word. they're probably talking about a smaller thing that plays music, I would say. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. But we call it a, a cassette, but it's also like sometimes written as K7, because K7 is France cassette in France. In French. Ooh, yeah, tricky. Okay. Which is a very early 2000 thing. What about DVD? We just call it DVD. DVD. Oh, good. Good. <laughs> um, okay, good. so it's just—it's funny to me because Rico is like framed as this uh, little, this this small kingpin of his uh, criminal gang, and then they're just like, "Yeah, Rico's gonna get some good money for these VHS tapes." <laughs> just sending a bunch of guys to steal like all the pretty horses and Das Boot <laughs> and resell them, and he's like. Here's your payment, uh, Phil, and he like hands him two VHS tapes. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> really funny. And then Phil is like, "Oh yeah, I really got to get my act together. My life's such a mess." And then he walks into the biggest New York City apartment, this warehouse loft apartment with this enormous stereo set and this open floor plan design, and it's it, yeah. Uh, very, I mean, that, that's not really what drives where me it's crazy. Like, how how can you possibly be this down on your luck person and have an apartment this size? Um, yeah, Phil, like he's, he's kind of got nothing going on. Um, so I mean, here, and, I mean, can I just say it's except yeah. for that apartment, which is sick. 
<laughs> Phil Urich is like for the person who ever imagined what if Rick Jones became the Green Goblin, that's who Phil Urich is. Like, God, that's literally that's just who page is. one of this comic has him go. <laughs> Wait, he says some of the stupidest stuff. He goes, "Free as a bird." I never understood what that meant before, but now that I'm <laughs> flying, I do. Like, <laughs> yeah, what an no, absolute it's... moron. And then, uh, and then he says, "Smoking," because it's 1996 and the mask came out. Which is yeah, uh, just it, he killed that first page. Really does a disservice to set the tone for the rest. Of this if you comic. take a <laughs> if you take a shot every time, Eric says, "I must be the world's biggest dork or mega cool." You will die of alcohol poisoning by the third issue. I guarantee it. <laughs> Absolute guarantee. Um, here's the thing, yeah. though. Here's the thing. Okay, these comics aren't actually good, right? Like I don't no. I don't think there's much of an argument to be made. It is a fun concept and a fun idea and a really good relic of the era. Like, like here's the thing. Putting six issues in this, that was for me. Okay? That was one for yeah, me. Yeah, I was mad. I just wanted uh, to read this. I never had. <laughs> okay? That's all it was. There's no, there's no justification or massive importance beyond, like, listen, if we're doing 1996, I want to experience this, this run because it is such an oddity. Um, and such a curiosity, you know, it's funny to me because, so the green goblin, the goblin has a massive legacy. Okay. Because the goblin goes from storm and Norman, right? The, the most impactful villain of good Spider-Man, right? Silver age through death of Gwen Stacy. Um, and then Harry obviously takes on the mantle, right? But then you also have the legacy of the hobgoblin that spins out of this. And like the thing about Phil's story is, so Phil's, you know, they're in an Osborne old warehouse and he stumbles into and he finds all the green goblin gear, right? Hobgoblin did that. <laughs> like that's Hobgoblin's origin too. And then Hob Hobgoblin has a legacy of a gazillion different people wearing the mask. So like, and, and one of the issues kind of plays with this too, but it's like, there's already a lot of goblins, out in the world. Yeah. Yeah. What, like two green goblins, two hub goblins, and one demo goblin. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, then you get in the nineties and you get the, the weird we goblins that we don't goblin. even really talk about. I think he's from Inferno, right? Like he's an uh, hub goblin that's got transformed into a yeah, demon. I think you're right. I think, the yeah. best thing about Demo Goblin is that Inferno Todd McFarlane drawn issue, because yeah. it looks so flipping good. Um and then just massive downhill from there absolute downhill <laughs> skiing from there um but it, the twist i guess with this green goblin is all of the other goblin legacies were goblin villains or goblin criminals yeah. or, or antagonists for spider-man this green goblin is just sort of anti-hero neutral like phil has no moral compass right like he's he is neither good nor evil he's just like a bored horny kid and now he has green goblin powers you know um, and conceptually, it's very 1996, but it's also like it's it's playing with stuff that Marvel doesn't really have very successfully that DC's doing well, which is like Kyle Rayner, Green Lantern, Wally West, Flash, or even like Bart Allen, Impulse in the Mark Wade run around this time, right? Where you have because that's the thing that that Spider Man is missing at this point is like Peter Parker's a married adult about to have a kid, right? And you don't necessarily have the dumb down on his luck teenage book. I think Green Goblin's kind of trying to capture that. It's just a little too dumb <laughs> and a little too <laughs> down on his luck. Like there's through six issues, I am no more invested in rooting for Phil than I was at the start necessarily. Um, and there's not really anything that builds in this beyond just like 
well, this is weird, and here's some stuff happening with the Rhino, and Ben Riley shows up, Scarlet Spider, and yada yada, right? Um, there's not much of a hook beyond that, but I do like, I like the concept, and I like, I don't know, it's kind of fun. Like, it's it's harmless, mm-hmm. I guess, you know? Mm-hmm. It, it's fun definitely is, not Fun bad. is stretching the definition of the word. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, yeah. I'll say, I really like the art. I think Scott McDaniel, uh, it, it's not, maybe like stylistically isn't that exciting to me, but I think he... He seems like someone, I don't know, I looked him up and he has a big career at DC, not a big career, but he's got a pretty solid career at DC through the 2000s uh, after this. Um, but like, he seems like someone who's like just kind of getting their feet under them, but has a lot of promise, if that makes sense. That sounds really, that, that is super condescending. No, but, but I, uh, I actually the, think that's probably the, the best way to describe a lot of Marvel's talent around this time. Yeah, they, like his his layouts, he does really interesting stuff with like where he puts the, you know, quote unquote camera. <laughs> right, right. Uh, just to do like to set up a very boring scene i think the writing is doing like is not giving him much to work with but i think like yeah and i think the way he... he's visually laying out uh each scene is pr- pretty good yeah and i think he draws the the goblin mask very well where it can look mm-hmm. very goofy yeah. because it's a teenage boy too kind of scary in some in some scenes like he he does that very well i would say that i like the arts i don't think it fits tom defalco's writing style like tom defalco has a very goofy almost 60s 70s style like that worked very very well with something someone like ron friends on on thor because like ron friends has a very homage to kirby style i think that fits uh, tom defalco's style very well a very 90s style works way less with his style i think yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i would agree you know i did want to talk a little bit about tom defalco because i don't know that we've done a lot of it um defalco is like a really major presence at Marvel, and, you know, he's editor-in-chief at Marvel from 87 to 1994, and hopefully we talked a little bit at the time, like, basically, as Marvel sort of started to really start to have problems, um, you know, DeFalco had problems with upper management, essentially, and was, I can't remember if it was super clone saga related or just, like, general line related, but basically he was like, you know, okay, I'm just not going to do this. I'm just going to step back and just write for Marvel. But he stays as a writer for a while, right? And he's he's on Thor. He's on Amazing Spider-Man. He's on Fantastic Four. Like, DeFalco is a major presence at Marvel through these decades. I think, Charlotte, to your point, like, definitely one of the older-fashioned, you know, style of writers. Um, we haven't necessarily covered a ton of his runs because I tend to find them pretty middle of the road, you know? Yeah. Um, but I do, I do yeah. want to credit the editorial reign because like with Jim Shooter we gave a ton of attention to because there's really good comics during that era right for sure um but also like he's a presence and he's a controversial presence yeah. that you know prominent creators like Chris Claremont had problems with DeFalco seems to have a sterling reputation like like the post DeFalco era conversations are like yeah he was much easier like he was a player's coach right like he was much easier going creators seem to get along with him and like if you actually look at like the comics Marvel puts out from 87 to 94 he has a pretty good run like like the time when he steps down as editor-in-chief like he got out at the right time too you know like Marvel was clearly descending and and then struggles to financially you know product wise and quality wise um so so just giving here a little shine to the DeFalco era of Marvel comics um because although I, I don't praise him as a writer or a storyteller necessarily certainly competent it's just not one of my faves um the editor-in-chief reign is pretty good pretty good stuff yeah he, he here's the thing he's i just looked it up he's 46 when he writes these green goblin stories 
and they feel like a 46 year old man writing a teenager yes yeah yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Know, like you sent you sense that hey speaking of which just just as a little bit of an aside uh again i'm, I'm still reading the steve engelhart captain america run the guy was like 23 when he started that uh it's so interesting I, I i'm always like blown yeah. away when i find out that like you get these great runs and it's like oh yeah they were 19 years old they were 22 years old right like that these are not you know like fully established adults like their brains are still forming right <laughs> and they're writing these these really good comics yeah roy thomas was 12 when he started as assistant editor not a lot of people talk about that <laughs> yeah well, that explains that explains a lot um well jim shooter jim shooter was <laughs> actually 13 when he started writing legion or whatever <laughs> right yeah. yes he got a story published when he was a literal teenager yeah but yeah uh, not very good burn um, all right yeah, yeah so I, uh, any more green goblin thoughts no, hey, Charlotte, did you know that Phil Urich existed before you released I, this week? Yeah, I did only because he appears in like one big Spidey run in the t- 2010s. Okay. Yeah, I had no idea. Like, I, I thought this was going to be about Norman Osborn. <laughs> when I started. Yeah, same. same. And then I, I was really <laughs> horrified because of that first page, right? That I explained all those quotes. Yeah, because you, uh, you don't see his face. You, you think it's yeah. Norman, but he's speaking like... Like Shaggy from Scooby Doo. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> exactly right. That would actually be uh, a far more fun series if it was yeah. Norman's back and he's he's his amnesia has turned him into Shaggy from Scooby Doo. He's got a really incredible. weird life crisis going. Oh man, that yeah. would be incredible. Speaking of Storm and Norman, let's talk about Spider-Man Revelations. So I think on a previous episode uh, on the Clone Saga, you know, I kind of summarized what the fallout was going to be of, you know, Mary Jane's pregnant right now and of their kid. I I already kind of gave voice to that. Revelations is the story where it happens. And I said I wasn't going to include it, um, but I did. And the reason I did is (laughs) (laughs) because the reason I did is not because I like it. I really don't. Uh, It's because there's two, uh, three really big things that happen in Revelations. Um, And and technically, technically, it is the end of the Clone Saga. You're not. I I kind of dug these. <laughs> well, no, no, no. The, the first the, one. I the last one. I will say my sh- my dislike yeah. of Revelations is almost entirely. I, I don't think they're amazing comics or anything, too. But like, it is almost entirely the outcome of the pregnancy. And oh, so, sure. okay. So I already said it. So let's just jump to that, right? So like, what happens here is there's this woman. Turns out she's working for Norman Osborn. Oh, by the way, he's back. Big spoiler. Um, and, uh, and she like puts something into Mary Jane's drink while Mary Jane's in labor and she has a miscarriage. Okay. Or so it's, so it's sold. It is such a, uh, hackneyed, emotionally manipulative approach to an editorial problem, which is we set up Peter and MJ to have a kid because we thought that would be a big revelation and a new direction to have a spider family. And now we got cold feet and we want out. So let's play with this real emotional trauma for these characters uh because we just don't want to have a kid i it's just like it's kind of gross to me um they did the same thing with sue obviously in fantastic four although i don't know that i think the motivations there are probably better i think it's better intended even if it doesn't work um here it's just so transparently like we don't have the conviction anymore to actually do this story and so we're going to do like, something horrible. And if behind the scenes stuff about like why they they you know ducked out of this, I I don't know exactly. Honestly, no. Um, it just seems like the you know when they started talking about it, it was 
two full years ago and <laughs> before the clone saga and it's like it's entirely new people involved the the editor-in-chief relationship is like there's no real top-down leadership at this time at marvel you know it's so fragmented um so i i would guess it's more just a a thing of time and money and, and just who's involved right there's just no institutional conviction to continue with that beyond sort of alternate realities and what if universes and we talk about that you know as, as things move forward um but i just hate that decision it's also like you know i actually think spider-man comics would be more interesting if peter and mj have a kid and it's this thing that we see over yeah. and over yeah. again of fear of change of of you know of saying oh we got to do stan's illusion of change but never actually do anything you know aside from the occasional wedding issue and even those you know maybe we'll walk those back we see that in modern comics all the time um and it's just it's a perpetual problem in the medium of well we better keep peter uh 25 and and you know unburdened by relationships and the character is so much better off when there are others to bounce off of and there has been some semblance of change all my favorite spider-man just stories. got rid of <clears throat> you just got rid of the uh the albatross around his neck that is aunt may now strap a baby to him you know like <laughs> he does need like, no more ampatross need... around his neck Ooh, that was pretty good <laughs> let's give him um, a kid no i just think like peter and mj yeah. with the kid is a fun dynamic yeah, it's interesting. and it's interesting yeah, and we're gonna true. see why it's a fun dynamic um but it's like and, and we've seen it in um in like peter david's last avenger story uh right like like creators have played with that sort of alternate reality before not necessarily in a super fun way um but it's just like that to me is a more interesting future for Spider-Man than what this sets up, which is, hey, all that stuff that happened for two years, let's walk it back. Let's go back to where we were. Uh, and that is the worst outcome to me, you know, having spent all that time in exhaustion through the Clone Saga. So, all right, I'll get off my soapbox. That's that's mainly why I don't like Revelations. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think, like, if, if, so, if you want... I don't think... I think they should have, uh, like, gone with having the baby grow up and have Peter and MJ as parents, that would have been a good direction. If you're getting cold feet and you want to, like, stop that, cancel that, don't use a very real word thing like miscarriage. Like, do, and I think don't think it's a perfect example of this, but do something like they did with uh, Scott and Madeline's kid. Like, throw him into the future. Like, do a sci-fi superhero explanation. Don't use a very real, very painful thing. Yeah. Because I, uh, you know they're not I going to... Do you, I mean, do you think, like... Because I don't think this is, like... As far as comparison, trying to be, like, insensitive about <clears throat> real wood miscarriage. Because also, I, I don't know. Like, this is so heightened and it's so clearly, like... I, I just have a hard time feeling like this is going to be triggering to somebody. Because yeah. literally you have in the moment when Mary Jane is having a baby... The doctor and the nurse are shooting shady looks at each other, and it's clear, it's obvious in that moment that this baby is being, like, snatched away, and that someone's stealing the baby. I, I don't think this is insensitive on that level. Like, this is clearly, like, super heroic, like, intrigue stuff going on. It's so heightened, and it is not, like, I, I don't know, like we've said before, we've seen <clears throat> the comics take on, you know, serious topics, and then just totally fumble it because they don't take them seriously enough. I think this is, like, totally out of the realm of being, you know, use, using an actual tragedy. In, I, I also don't think they should be barred from actually using miscarriage. I think it just is a boring choice here. I think um, it's a bad choice, and it's also, if you're going to do that, you know, some of this is just like, well, who's in the room to tell the story? And is anyone here going to give voice to what this means for Mary Jane? 
as a character with any effectiveness. I have no confidence in that. Um, you know, and just like the trauma of this, it's just like it's Spider-Man comics. So we're just they're just going to like move on, you know, and he's going to start fighting the rhino in the next issue. And I just I don't know. It's just not the scene for it. Like, I don't know. We've talked about this all the time. Like, yes, real world things can and should be in Marvel comics. They all are the time, um, whether it's political, whether it's emotional, whether it's um, anything. Right. These these types of stories can be really good stories. Uh, it's just like this is not this is not the space for this story. And I think, too, at the same time, it's like. It's just that it's it's the least interesting outcome is probably the you know the real problem well, here. You're is... talking about it like this was an actual like a miscarriage in the comic and not a baby napping by uh, Norman Osborn. No, but no, but I'm saying, <clears throat> like but I'm saying that piece of it is kind of irrelevant um, at the end of the day because either way they're putting Peter and MJ through what they think is a stillbirth in the delivery room, right? But yeah, they're not yeah, prepared sure, to yeah. handle it. And if it's a baby napping by <laughs> yeah, surprise I guess Norman they, they Osborn because, because it's comics, you know, and it's, it's so yeah. operatic, like, okay, right? That's a story you can play out. Um, but it's like, there were other ways to have done that, <laughs> I suppose. Yeah. Like, like you can have, you know, like Charlotte said, like, I actually think the more fan, like, this is comics. Like, if you're gonna, if you're gonna say, oh, well, it's superheroes and, you know, I can't take this stuff seriously, then do something weird. <laughs> like, you know, an, an Ascani son from the future coming and taking the baby to the future. That is, that's a more appropriate response to me to say, yeah, this is superhero comics, right? Um, it, like, weird stuff. No, it, can it's happen. certainly boring. I just don't see it as offensive anyway. I just think it's so, like, what it's doing is, you know, it's the Green Goblin baby napping. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't. Uh, I, necessarily it's, it's the same as cable like stealing a baby in x-men i just like I'm, i don't i don't think it needs to be i don't think it is the same know, i think i think more broadly I, it's not for us to say what is or isn't offensive for things we haven't experienced first of all um i think that's kind of a slippery slope um if you don't see it that's fine i think others might and i and i'm also i'm not calling it incredibly offensive i think it's callous and i think it's it's a it's a callous decision that the creators are not prepared to deal with and it's also uh, a poor decision in the story. And I think those factors yeah. combined are the reasons I don't like it. Yeah, no, I think the, the main yeah, problem is it, it I don't think the right. I don't think the writers are, like they said, going to deal with it in the way it should be dealt with. And um and to be clear, I'm not saying that comics shouldn't or can't talk about stuff like miscarriage. I just think it shouldn't be a solution to an editorial problem that's gonna be swept under the rug after like five issues. Which is probably but, what wait, is, is this it is though? Going I'm, to be? I'm just like we're, we're talking about it. Like the baby actually died at this moment. It got stolen away by Norman Osborn's like. Okay, know, so I, a part of the right? <laughs> part of the discrepancy yeah. here <laughs> is definitely um, the constant source of friction here, which is I know what happens and you don't. Uh, so well, that, I mean, that's I know fair. That the baby, I, I nothing think. ever happens from no, this. no. So but I, I, but I, what you're saying is like this is set up as if there is the implication at the end of this, that maybe the baby didn't die and it was just yes, baby napped right. and given to Norman Osborn. So you're right. That yeah, is pretty, that is that's where, what I walk away with it feeling pretty clear has happened. Like there, there are people like, they're like, Oh no, Mary Jane, I'm so sorry about your baby. And then the nurse and the doctor shoot each other a look and then they rush a cart out of the room. Like right. Right, right. it's so, it's so clearly setting up that, you know, so let's, so let's talk happen. about that. Um, because so storm and Norman comes back here at the end of this, um, to mess with Peter's life by allegedly and, stealing and just, his baby. Just to call it some of the art. John Romita Jr. back here on that last issue, and it's really fun. People like, really, really people like love it. to slam 
JRJR in 2022 because yeah, he, he's been I doing really, it for ages. I dig his stuff so um, much. 90s JRJR when he shows up on Spidey. It's a good time. It's a good time. There's Super some cool fun. stuff in yeah. there. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Uh, the What do you both make of the return of the Green Goblin? So like Green Goblin's been dead since 1973. It's crazy how long Green Goblin's been dead, right? Since since death of Gwen Stacy. He stays out of the comics for 23 years. That's an, that is a absolute like, you know, immense amount of time for Marvel Comics, especially where we're at today. Yeah, beat even Thanos in that big, you know, having a big... Yeah. Game. I'm yeah. actually pretty pro him coming back, I have to say. Um, and I can talk about why, but but what do you... Let's start, let's start with you. What do you think about the return of the original Green I Goblin? I mean, I think I didn't have that huge a reaction to it just because I started reading comics at a time where, like, Green Goblin, the, like, Norman Osborn is around, and that's just how it is. So... To me, yeah, Green Goblin being alive is a part of Spidey Comics. To me, like, the exception is him being dead. So this yeah. wasn't... I knew this was going to be coming, and I didn't have a big negative reaction to it. I didn't have a big positive reaction to it either. I'm just like, yeah, that's fine. That's one way to to end the Clone Saga, I guess, and to, to tie it all together. I don't think it, mm-hmm. the the way it's revealed and, like, the how he explains his big plan and what's been happening. I don't think that's very interesting. But, like, I'm I'm interested in him being a player again in the Spider-Man universe. Yeah, because he also casually takes credit for the Clone Saga. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, he's like, not only did I steal the baby, but also I did the clone thing. Uh, Zach, what was your reaction to the Return of Storm and Norman? I, same as Charlotte. Like, I, <clears throat> I mean, you know, sins past, top ten, you know, personal <laughs> comics for me, obviously. Oh, you, did, you didn't have to uh, expand beyond saying since past. You could have dropped the mic right there. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so, <laughs> yeah. Because because of that, you know, I, I obviously knew he was going to come back. Uh, surprised that it took so long, to be honest. I'm, I'm like, I am I am shocked that they spent so long without him coming back. So, like, you know, I, I, I am, I roll my eyes a little bit at the constant, like, uh, the revolving door of, like, characters dying and coming back. But, if if you leave him dead for twenty years, then it's like totally fine. Bring him back. Well, and <laughs> we kind of like, and we kind of haven't really had that, you know. Like no, we in haven't, we haven't, we haven't yet, run into that really. problem yet. Like yeah. characters don't die and come back with tremendous. <laughs> you don't have stuff like, th- and this is not a spoiler because I'm making this up. But you know, when I, I'll read some random average, like just just a random issue of whatever an Avengers comic from modern day, and it will just talk about like, I don't know. Hawkeye and it'll be like yeah the the second time dying was the worst yeah it's like, right how what is happening like everybody has died <laughs> multiple times Chris Claremont yep. has an issue um, of I think Nightcrawler for two is 2014 series where it's Nightcrawler and a bunch of the original X-Men they're sitting around a campfire and they're all sharing stories of the times they died because every X-Men has died <laughs> by the time we get to 2014 they all have a death story um there's literally one major X-Men I can think of who yeah. who has not yeah, died? Miserable. Uh, but yeah, I hate that. So and and but at this point in 1996, Jean Grey is the obvious example. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But that is the exception. That is not the rule. And and sure. like you said, yeah. you know, you have a Thanos sort of miraculous comeback, and here you have some Norman. Norman. It doesn't feel like it's been 23 years. Um, it doesn't feel like he's gone from comics for that long because his legacy, his impact, is so tremendous. You know. Um, and obviously you have Harry, you have the family legacy, um, and then you just have the shadow and the way he haunts Peter and, and always will. I, I like bringing him back here because 
you know, it, it's not exactly the same thing, but it's a bit of the Batman without the Joker or vice versa, right? Like Peter Parker's, I, there's an argument to be made and we've talked about it, how like Doc Ock is, is maybe the most, I don't know, prominent or, or featured actual villain throughout Spidey's Silver Age or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But there's no arguing that Norman has the greatest impact and, and the most memorable moments. And I think when you have that villain present, to potentially torment Spider-Man and work against him, it just leaves more like you know narratively fertile soil for Spider-Man stories. Um, he's he's a more interesting character with a more interesting rogues gallery, and Norman Osborn is one of the most interesting villains he has. Uh, one of the worst, <laughs> but that makes him one of the most. Yeah, interesting. Ca- cast the longest <laughs> shadow for sure. Yeah, right. So yeah. I don't I don't really have any issue. And again, you know, it's been such a long time. Um, I, so I'm, I'm fine. fine with him being back. I'm I'm not particularly interested in him, like what he's doing right here. You know, I don't think like this is a, a, a very like. I don't think it's a good like, comeback story. <gasps> no, exactly. So like, I, I don't mind him being back. And I'm curious to see what it is in the future. But I'm not like, oh, man, Norman was behind the cl- the clone. I don't even really know what that means because there's been a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. And yeah, that's just like tossed I, out. I almost wish they wouldn't have explained how he's back, what he's been doing. Like he's just back and like have that be a mystery and that's adding to him being a terrifying figure. Like we saw right. him die and he's just back and we don't know how. That would be almost more fun to me, more interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of agree. I mean, the, so the other Yeah, well, him having him having a healing factor is actually kind of dorky to me. I don't know. Yeah. Like <laughs> I, I don't know how else they would do it. They have to have something, right? But like him having a, I got pierced through the literally through my heart with a uh, hang glider, and then I woke up a little a few hours later, and I'm fine. Uh, I don't know. I, I guess just like I don't love the idea of him just being an immortal Wolverine esque character, but well, I guess we'll see where that goes. Yeah, yeah, that can be dicey. Um, one thing, the other big thing that happens in this Revelation story is once Norman comes back, you have Ben Riley still scarlet spider and we actually get some i would say fairly interesting sequences of peter and ben are going through may's old stuff and kind of talking about her memory and going through old photos and playing battleship together right and you kind of get you know they're calling each other brother sometimes cousin they can't seem to settle yeah <laughs> on, really the, on the relationship yeah. but they're like they're close now um and i like this actually like it's it that's every that's i was gonna i wanted to call out that issue because i really like that issue 240 mm-hmm. and i like the last issue 75 with the john Romita jr art yeah um oh i, I like the uh oh man i had the artist pulled up because i i liked the artist and the writing on spectacular spider-man 240 um the second i'll get it it but, is uh, uh spectacular <laughs> is todd dezago writing in pencils by luke ross yeah luke ross is like doing it's like archie is being folded into marvel in a way we've never seen before it looks like archie comics which like, i kind of think up. works for for spidey yeah. a lot of times sure. honestly um because you get maybe not the action but like for the characters chit-chatting well you get mike waringo on sensational um and waringo yeah. does a lot of flash stuff with wade he's going to go on to do fantastic four um he's got that very clean I guess Archie <laughs> sort of style, sure. Yeah, that, um, he he really leans into it. Yeah, but yeah. I I really liked this, like Peter and Ben being buds and like having conversations about it, what it feels like to be the clone or not the clone. You know, like they're right. talking about their experience of it and not just kind of like the same thing that Ben's been saying over and over, like swinging through the city and being like, "I'm a clone. What does this mean for my life? Am I, you know, like this? We just haven't gotten more except for just kind of brooding about it. So right. like. 
having a new conversation and like character building and relationship building through this, uh, I think is really interesting. And then being like pals talking about our memories, you know, like I really like that detail that they're like that time yeah. that we did this as a kid. I think that's like a very fun, you know, like w- way of, uh, of, of them talking about it, like a shared language. So did you also enjoy it then when that was completely walked back? by the end of this <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah ben riley turns to dust at the end i mean i don't care and i also knew like i knew that he ben riley was not the original one like well yeah but happen. i mean but did you know he I, was gonna get it here no i didn't know he was no i did not yeah i I, I thought like he'd be taken out of the main titles but that he'd still be a presence in the background or like come back every now and then for a crossover or something like i did expect him to stick around longer it's the same thing, yeah. not the same thing, but it's it's the same problem I have with uh you know with the stillbirth, where it's like we just spent two years establishing Ben Riley the Scarlet Spider, he's Spider Man for about one year in comics time, and then they literally kill him off and turn him into a clone dust, <laughs> and get rid of him so they can walk it back to the way things were with Peter Parker. It is you know I use the word regressive a lot to describe Marvel storytelling. And obviously a lot of it is going to be that, you know, like the history of this this Marvel Comics franchise over decades and decades. Stuff's going to get walked back to try to get back to some idea of the way things should be and the way these comics were meant to be told. Uh, but this one, I, I don't know how much of, because obviously there's a lot of Clone Saga dissatisfaction. I don't know how much of it is a reaction to what Revelations does. But for me, it really sours some of the stuff I actually liked. You know, and some of the threads where it's like, like, you, you, I don't know, it's the thing where like you can go back to your Spider-Man stories and have Ben Riley operating in a neighboring city, right? Like, yeah, that would be easy. <laughs> and instead, it's it's just so ham-fisted in the approach to be like, all right, walk it back, bring back Norman Osborn, walk it all the way back. Let's let's try and fix this thing. Yeah, um, I just and because I don't know, like I just kind of hate it. Yeah, and because in like just four issue of one like mini event, mini Spidey event, you get Green Goblin being back, Ben uh, Ben Riley being erased, and the baby being basically erased. Mm-hmm. Um, like all that in only four issues, it really feels like editorial mandate the comic. Like because it feels like just okay, we're doing four issue, and it's gonna get Peter back to where he was. Or well, I mean kind of, or erase everything we think people don't like. Yeah. Um, and because the story isn't good enough, I think it's fine, but it's not good enough, you feel it oozing out of the page that it's the the editorial purpose of the comic comes before it's being actually good. Well, and I think, like, strategy... You know, editorial gets blamed for a lot of stuff, like, throughout comics history, right? It's a, it's a favorite of comics fans to be like, oh, editorial meddled or, oh, editorial made a bad decision, blah, blah, blah. But one of the things that, like, an actual good editorial unit can do is just sort of a general strategy, right? Of, like, yeah. here's the big picture, here's where we're going, um, and here's what you as creators are encouraged to do to get us there. And what you feel here, exactly what you just said, Charlotte, is everything that had just been built saying, now tear it all down. And that tends to lead to worse comics, I will say. And it definitely tends to be upsetting for people who actually spent the time. Because, like, here's the thing. Like, if you never read the Clone Saga and you never read this story, you'll be fine. Like, really, like if you read Maximum Carnage and then you start reading comics again in 1997 with Spider-Man 
What did yeah. you miss? Yeah, yeah. What did you miss? That's a really good point. You know, and that's yeah. frustrating when you actually go on the journey and you actually follow these characters through the years. Because um, then it's like, oh, yeah, remember all that happened? And then we immediately tried to tear it down and blow it up and pretend it didn't. Uh, that's worse, I would say. Um, there, there are things you can do. Like we talked about during the Clone Saga episode the last time. Like, you know, Peter's little uh, dalliance with domestic abuse. Yeah, walk that back. <laughs> walk that back right away. <laughs> and, uh, and don't let that linger. Okay, good. Right. Let's let's actually take that out. Um, but like sure. years yeah. and years worth of storylines. No, like that's and again, like I'm not like some clone saga fanboy. You know, it's not like I'm like, oh, my gosh, these things, these things matter. And I loved them. Uh, it's just it, I, I just it, it's because this is so it happens so often with so many stories and comics and we're going to see it and we're going to see it again and again and again. And it bothers me every single time. <laughs> yeah, just like I, I agree because I'm like I'm with you in theory, but also at the same time, like I didn't walk out of this being like, all right, like I, I mean, I, I like the idea of them having a kid, so I, I do like that, and I am bummed that they, you know, are are backpedaling that. But Ben Riley, I was not like, yeah, you know what, like I'm sold on Ben Riley, I'm happy. So like I, I liked I think this last issue with Ben Riley, but them undoing this, I guess it is frustrating because it does feel like so. It was the point. Why did we do all that? But like at the same time, I'm not. I'm not disappointed that we're not getting more Scarlet Spider stories. Like, I'm just already so exhausted with Spider-Man. It's not like I just needed more, you know, back-to-basic Spider-Man with a new Spider-Man. It's less about the uh, specifics than it is the, yeah, the broad strokes and strategy. Although I do think yeah. Peter and MJ married with Kid actually is is fodder for some really good story. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, and you know what? Also knowing, I mean, I don't think it's a spoiler to say, like, we do know the kid doesn't come back, right? Like, I, I don't know what happens to the baby, but, like, we do not get, you know, Norman doesn't... Da- I, I don't know if it's ever resolved or if it's just gone or yeah, what happens, I'll, but we do not get... I'm going to have to see how much resolution I actually want to do. I don't think we really touched the resolution probably in the, the previous iteration of the club. Um, I don't know if we will hear either. I'm kind of... Yeah, yeah, but it, it doesn't happen. Like, he never ends up with a kid. Well, which I, is, I know, wouldn't quite bags. say that because if people are doing the Spidey journey, there's... There's something that happens. I won't say what. Uh, well, we have the what if Spider Girl stuff, which is fun. Uh, no, no, I know that, but I'm. Uh, there's something else. Like the resolution okay, of the story right. is, it's a mystery. I guess is what I'll say. Okay. Well, my my uh, like I mean, my feeling is like if they're gonna do this story, you know, then you could do like a Batman Damian <laughs> kind of thing. Sure. Uh, yeah. Another Normie two, you know, comes back to them, uh, something like that. But it doesn't really seem. Seem like that's where it's going. So yeah, no, I, I I definitely agree in theory that you know not like not doing anything that really changes the character is a bummer. Well, and I think you know the thing with Spider Man too is we're talking about sort of exhaustion and and wishing that our favorite character was a part of more engaging stories. And you know the one thing I said about the Clone Saga that I did like was like this thing did need a kick in the pants. It needed something to spice it up. The Clone Saga is an attempt at that. And in some ways, it's relatively successful. It's just too exhausting. It's just way too long. You know, it's just overburdened with story and with just keeping the wheels spinning for years and years and years. But trying to do something that shakes things up was the right idea. And this is the opposite of that for me. Um, And I'm probably sounding (laughs) more torn up about it than I am for sure, right? Like, I'm not, I'm not, it's just the, it's the idea of it and the way we keep seeing it. And the way we're going to keep seeing it um, throughout superhero comics where it's just kind of, I don't know, it just, it bothers me so much that people always, and, and editors seem to agree, and there's a lot of fans that want that, that that people just want to go back 
to what they had. And the answer to more interesting stories is going forward to something we haven't had before every single time for me. Well, yeah, because I mean, like, that that's because I keep thinking about Spider-Man where I'm like, well, what do I want from a Spider-Man comic? Because it's not this. And I'm like, I guess, you know, Silver Age stuff. But that's just because we haven't had anyone ever do an Immortal Hulk on Spider-Man and give me something that, like, I didn't even think that I wanted. Sure. Right? Like, no, I, like I, I want a Spider-Man comic that is is covering ground and, and is aesthetically something that I, I can't come up with, right? Like, I shouldn't be... It should be something that I shouldn't be able to come up with because it's so unique. Yeah. Because I'm right. just a dum-dum. Uh, so, like, that that kind of... And that doesn't happen. You know, Spider-Man, like, he's just one of the least flexible... Well, there are little heroes. things. I mean, you know, I don't want to be too negative about, like, you know, the future of the character because, like, when JMS no, and JR come on the Spider-Man. title in, in the late 90s and into the 2000s, there's some fun stuff. Um, and there's some interesting ideas that they attempt. Um, oh, John I, Byrne has a Spider-Man run. Up, <laughs> we're so. gonna, Zach. You're gonna have to read the John Byrne Spider-Man and report back. I, I've he- I've heard it's pretty bad. I <laughs> know it's pretty bad, but I want your I want the Byrne fanboy to uh, to to come and report admit back it. with your take on it. I think I'll, I'll no, I, I I will readily admit. Uh, I don't think I've read a good John Byrne comic post like what 1992 something like that. So what was I mean? Sensational She-Hulk ends. And I think yep. he does definitely very interesting stuff on that title. Is there anything but that that like after the that? interesting stuff he does in that is over by the nineties, right? Like he doesn't do anything new with that past the first eight ten issues. Uh, yeah, when he then, comes back for the second like, time, I don't I don't have as much time for those comics. Oh, um, I, no, the I read more stuff. Thing. I think fizzles out pretty quickly for much. me as well. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't actually think there is. Like for me, I mean, what Next Men? Right? I haven't read. Oh my gosh, Zach, yeah. we need we need a Patreon. I haven't read Next Men. That is Zach does the full John Byrne Byrne mania, you know, and uh, including and everything. his uh, what is what is it uh, the X Men days of is this future, his future? Uh, is this the thing he's doing called. now where he's like following up his what his X Men run would have been? Yeah, that's. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I that, that sounds like it's probably the best good. thing he's done. Sense it's this it's true because those those are very readable and those are pretty fun. It feels like you're thrown right back into the '70s and reading some like fun X Men. Mm-hmm. Um, I've only read a few of those, but I like them. I, I mean, it is a it's a testament to <laughs> that I think those work. That uh, I enjoyed reading them despite the fact that they're not even inked or colored. Yeah, and I, I read a couple of them. So yeah, um, but yeah, no, I don't. I don't think post '90s he's doing anything too exciting. I'm I won't defend him there. I mean, creators. We've talked about this before. Creators generally have more of an athlete's shelf life than you would think. Yeah, it's in, in they it's just lose so their basketball. Weird. I just don't get it. I don't understand why. Like in in movies, you know, old old directors are still making vibrant work, right? Like Mad Max is directed and written and edited by people in their seventies, like George Miller and his wife. Uh, right. And Martin Scorsese still making very like vibrant work. Uh, who, who else? Uh, Ridley Scott. Ridley Scott's like eighty years old. Last year he made House of Gucci and uh, The Last Duel. Which right? uh, like, these are not like wh- which of huh? these are in the MCU? Because I, I feel like you've named three directors. That <laughs> yeah, <first>. right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, it's just so, and then authors, right? Like authors of prose novels, right? Like of fiction. Well, even even artists, do good. Even even artists on the comic side certainly sure. have longer longer yeah. legacies. It yeah, would seem yeah, yeah. right. It's, you, it's, we see all these names popping up where it's like. Greg Capullo on Quasar in early 90s, and then it's like, oh, yeah, and he became Sienkiewicz, enormous Sienkiewicz is, in I mean, 2011 with Batman, you know? 
Sinkevich just does stuff for fun now, but he's still doing like good work. Like, yeah, he's, he he's still got it if you want it, right? He's Mignola, not working at the same pace. Right? Like, but the thing Kai, is, like, well, Mignola is actually Stan Sakai hasn't missed a, missed a beat in <laughs> forty years. It's incredible. Who? Stan Sakai, uh, Usagi Ujimbo. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And Mignola yeah. actually. Now that I think of it, I think Mignola is still like doing yeah, Mikey's good work, still both it. writing and drawing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely. Yes, but also like currently there. are a Hulk series by Peter David at Marvel. There's a Silver Surfer series by Ron Lim and Ron, Ron, Ron Mars. Like, Marvel is still hiring writers that were doing stuff in the 90s and 80s. It's just that it's not as good. Well, they've definitely they've established their retirement yes. program, um, yeah. which is probably good for creators. It's not good for comics. <laughs> like, yeah. Those aren't... Those aren't, I don't know, people are pretty high on, Jam DeMatties actually gets to go back and do a Ben Riley Scarlet Spider series now. Um, and people are really high on that. Um, you know, which is funny, because obviously like Clone Saga, Clone Saga uh, hatred has been taken over by Clone Saga nostalgia over the past, I don't know, decade maybe? You know, certainly in the 2010s. Somewhere somewhere in the 2010s, it switches from infamous to like, oh, hey, that was kind of fun. I like Ben Riley. I, I don't know exactly when it is, but there's a turning point there. Mm-hmm. Where where it yeah. becomes nostalgia, it, probably it's just with the the demographic shifting, and now the '90s being where the olds lived when they were kids, right? Yeah, yeah, it's it 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 is strange. I, I mean that like they they still get work, Charlotte, but I think that's just playing. I mean, honestly, that seems like a, a tact to get older readers back in rather than yeah. Peter David really has something to say, and let's get him you know <laughs> let's get him in front of a comic book yeah uh, i mean no offense to peter david he might be writing decent comics still, but, but i also like the ones that i see at the end of the top 10 is it yeah is it a comic book problem or is it a marvel and dc problem uh, i think it's actually I, mean, I, I think it's actually often a problem with creators and the speed and movement of the industry yeah. to keep pace with the styles that are popular of the era like Chris Claremont and John Byrne, you know, are good examples because they keep getting at bats and they keep getting less effective as the years go by. Yeah. They don't quite have the capacity to adapt in the way that you you want from a modern creator as the eras progress. Um, the the creators that can do that and are very good at it are exceptions and are exceptional generally, right? Like Grant Morrison, Alan Moore, like these are all timers, but like Grant Morrison. I don't even know if if they know if they need to adapt so much as they just are so in their own sphere, frankly. Well, yeah, because I mean, it, it's basically saying that like Chris Claremont's writing doesn't fly anymore. <laughs> but like, <laughs> right? here's like, the, is like Chris Claremont's 2001 writing that different than his 1983 writing? And I'm I probably yes in some ways, but it's also like maybe not that much. It's just you know so much has passed, and you, and he's he built so much of the framework and things that were exciting at the time. And coming back to it the exact same way or a similar way doesn't, yeah, maybe just doesn't fly anymore the same way it did then. I think that's part of it. I don't know if it's if it's the only reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it, it's just straight. I mean, I yeah, yeah. Maybe it's just the medium is still like so rapidly evolving, you know, and people yeah don't adapt. And then also there's literally an entire movement about well, let's just get back to what it was thirty years ago because what we have now is no good. Uh, and that stuff's very frustrating, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, was it Liefeld saying? What did Liefeld say about uh, X Men? A lot of things. That, like he said something insane. That, <laughs> he like, does have a lot to say. That yeah. that man talks no, a lot. No, it, it was something really. You talking about? You talking about like, friend of Comic Book Herald, fan of Comic Book Herald, Rob Liefeld retweeted me one time. Yeah. Quote tweeted me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> about this exact issue. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
I, yeah, I, can't, I can't remember what it was. What, what was the, the thing? It was just like no one's written a, a good X-Men comic since Claremont or something like that. Like, I mean, he probably said Burn because I feel like he's more of a Burn Burn. Yeah, uh, he lo- I did listen to uh, what, what's his Lob Feldations? What's the his Rob Rob's Positions? What's his p- podcast called? You tell me. God, I can't remember. <laughs> anyway, his podcast. I listened to his episode about John Byrne. It was fun, <laughs> you know. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Uh, and he didn't. He didn't spend it grousing about like modern comics. So it was fun just listening to him talk about John Byrne. Um, but uh, yeah, you definitely just don't want to hear what those guys have to say about uh, comics today. Anyway, uh, yeah, these are uh, this the Clone Saga stunk, and I'm so glad to be done with this. And uh, honestly, I just don't want to read another Spider-Man comic for like another year in real time dave so like please take out spider-man for the next you know like four or five years of my marvelous year you know honestly it's not that hard to do like so i think i referenced a goofy carnage story i think that's all we have for 97 no that's 98 97 we have richard and may parker mary parker agents of shield (laughs) yeah that's that's coming out we're not gonna read that okay (laughs) uh, oh yeah there's a carnage story in 98 uh and then no spider-man in 99 and then the is two thousand yeah, when we get into the JMS era. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. which All is right. like I'm. There are a lot of Spider-Man comics upcoming, like between the nineties and today, that I'm excited about and that I know are good. But I don't know what's the next Peter Parker comic that I like because most future, uh, like most upcoming Spider-Man comics that I like, are not Peter Parker stories. So yeah, I don't know if there's like one big Peter story that I I'm gonna be excited about. Two two thousand has a good one for me. Yeah. Two thousand has a good one for me. Yeah. It's not since past. <laughs> I hear you laughing. Stop it's not, it. It's not a, Stop it with since past. It's not past. a joke. And <laughs> here's here's the thing. We've been talking about since past for years. We're not reading since past, y'all. It's not gonna happen. No, we absolutely are. There's there's no way. <laughs> the we're only way one. we're reading since past a- is if uh we get enough support on patreon.com slash my I'll back here. us. I'll start funneling I'll money through us. <laughs> <laughs> You're laundering I, I will scheme. launder it through somebody. Someone in the club will back actually, you know what? I specifically know someone in our club who just read the entire JMS run sure. and agrees with me on since past. So I'll uh, I'll just funnel your under this your brainwashing of these poor patrons, <laughs> these generous supporters of this club, where you bully them at, into at agreeing the very with least. You. It's so big and notable that it's worth talking about, even if you know we're, we're not going to. That's uh, that's <laughs> the that is the argument for it. Is how do you go through? Like it's it's the argument for one more day too, where it's like, and it's yeah, very, we have to read these stories so people know least, what you're talking you know. about when you reference these things. Yeah. I think that's probably it, fair. And it goes down smooth. It's not it's not a, a miserable. Like, it goes down smooth like Malort, baby, just smooth down the. <laughs> I feel like I think our clones uh, since past episode should just be a best of of every time we've talked about uh, since past so far without having yeah words. right because i think that's <laughs> yeah kind of two hours uh, that's a two hours episode right and to, to be clear i i'm gonna make the argument that since past is like a solid b minus b oh my god you, know, like, you I, coward I'm not going to you that coward all right you need story, to fix that right now you need to step that up right now and commit commit to the kayfabe no. my man come on no no no, no. i'm this is not kayfabe this is 
I'm dead serious that I think that is, it's that's a, the most boring thing the, though. If if you're like, oh, it's a C, not, and I'm no, like, it no, not, it's a D. Like, who cares? Sorry, I mean, people lose their minds when I say that. <laughs> so like, I I think that's still an incredibly hot take to be like, yeah, it's pretty readable. I think like what it does with the characters works okay. Like, turn up the temperature. Right, ju- just turn up that, the temp. Charlotte's right. If we made a super cut of every time we talked about since past on yeah. air, it'd be like a six hour episode <laughs> already. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's why we need to talk about it. I, honestly, we almost did it like a year and a half ago as a bonus episode. You were like, why don't we just talk about Sins Pass now as our like $700 goal on yeah. Patreon or something. Yeah. And we decided to defer it to when we just get there. Do we have another bad comic goal coming up? No. We the, probably uh, the should, RPG right? The thing is kind of in the wings. Oh, right. Okay. We should probably add a bad comic again because it's, it's, I want to read All-Star Batman and Robin. Um, oh well, I, sure I'm about to others. do that. Is do, do, I'm about to do All Star Batman and Robin with a Patreon who donated last year, uh, who chose that as his. Oh, to read. interesting. Yeah. Okay, so we already episode. got one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, do you want to join us on that? Uh, maybe. Let me know what the timing is. Um, okay. Yeah. I could be. I could be swayed. All right. So if you wanna, yeah. if you wanna make us read weird comics, you can go to Patreon.com/slash/MyMarvelous Year. Uh, it's also where you can get all the episode or the issues that we're talking about in the club. Next up. In this year, let's see, we got a little helter-skelter scheduling here, but I think next up, if if this comes out according to the release that we just talked about, we had just done Onslaught, we just did Spider-Man, we should now be on Heroes Reborn, okay? Mm-hmm. Speaking of sea changes in the Marvel Comics landscape, we're going to talk about new number one issues for everything, Cap America, Fantastic Four, Avengers, Iron Man, the post-Onslaught reboot of a certain side of the Marvel Universe. It'll be interesting. It'll be an interesting time for all, I will say. 1996 is not an uninteresting year. Let's give it that, right? Like, not sure. a lot of runs yeah. that I'm like, this stuff's good, but it's an interesting year for Marvel as they enter it's bankruptcy. It's short, so that, that helps. Yeah, <laughs> and it, it, it does feel yeah. like, from the, the big things that happen, it does feel like a rift between pre-96 comics and post-96 comics. Like, we're beginning to, to, to go into a new era for Marvel, which will be yeah. interesting to see. Yeah, for sure. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. You can find uh, stuff at My Marvelous Year on Twitter. You can find me at Comic Book Herald. <laughs> That's rude. <laughs> I run that Twitter account. It's the only way to describe it. Uh, you can find Charlotte at Fear of Charlotte on Twitter. Again, support for the show is patreon.com slash My Marvelous Year. Music for the show is by Disaster Peace. All the issues we're reading are in the show notes. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll see you next year. See you next year. See you year. next year.